Good morning. Happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers in the house. I, um, I found some really fun things to share with you. <clears throat> this is called Mom Too Helpful. The Associated Press reported on August 5th, 1995 about a mother who was just a little too concerned for her son's career. She apparently wanted to give him a boost and help him to make some extra money. You see, her son worked for the United States Forest Service as a firefighter. As a seasonal firefighter, he received a base salary but was paid extra while fighting fires. So his mother saw to it that he got to fight fires. According to investigators, this 60-year-old Mount Shasta woman had set five brush fires in the past year along a Northern California highway. She could get 20 years in jail for her maternal attempt to advance her son's career. But by the way, her son no longer works for the Forest Service. Thanks, Mom. Perhaps there is a limit to how much we can, could and should do for our children. Amen? Becky happened to walk into my office at the house yesterday, and she had just heard a word of wisdom because uh, she had heard, stop focusing on what you're doing for your child and focus rather on what you are being for your child. Amen to that? Uh, this one I thought, you know, when you have the bottle of aspirin, you know there's instructions or little words on there you're supposed to pay attention to. It says, if you are a mother with a lot of tension and you get a headache, do what it says on the aspirin bottle. Take two aspirin, and the other instruction is keep away from children. That will help you. <laughs> An overworked mother of three active young boys was playing in the yard with her boys one afternoon when her neighbor came by to borrow a cup of sugar. One of her boys aimed his play pistol at his mother and he yelled, bang, bang, you're dead. The mother acted the part perfectly. She took the shot and she fell to the ground. When she fell to the ground, however, she did not get up. Her neighbor waited for her to get up and she did not get up, so the concerned neighbor rushed over to see if she was hurt from the fall. As the neighbor bent over to check on the mother, the mother opened one eye and whispered, shh, don't give me away. This is the only chance I ever get to rest. How many moms know what that's like? <clears throat> I love this. When all, is, uh, when all is said and done, it is the mother, and the mother only, who is a better citizen than the soldier who fights for his or her country. The successful mother, the mother who does her part in the rearing and training aright, the boys and girls who are to be the men and women of the next generation, is of greater use to the community and occupies, if she would only realize it, a more honorable as well as a more important position than any man that is in it. The mother is the one supreme asset of national life. She is more important by far than the successful governmental leader, the, the successful business person, artist, or scientist. These words were given to us by President Theodore Roosevelt. Mothers, we honor you on this day. God bless you. Typically, uh, we have a female speaker on this day, on Mother's Day. Uh, most often it has been Mary Evans throughout the year. Sometimes it's a guest speaker, someone that Becky would have invited to come in. Uh, Mary Evans has done a fabulous job over the last 40 years. I think she has spoken on every mother in the Bible. There was a couple years I thought she made up one or two. I'm not sure. <laughs> 
And I know you'd prefer to hear from a mother today, but I'm going to attempt to uh, preach a Mother's Day message to you. I did have an idea about asking three special ladies in my life to speak today. I thought about asking my wife and doing a tag team thing, asking my wife, my daughter, and my daughter-in-law, my daughter-in-love, Natalie, uh, to speak uh, today. Wouldn't you like to have heard that? Wouldn't that be nice? Well, all I can tell you is two of those three were perfectly willing and ready to do it, but one was not. She felt that hosting the women's event last weekend has satisfied her quota for having to stand in front of people for the rest of the year. I'll let you figure out who I'm talking about. I didn't mention any names. Having raised uh, two children in our home and watching my wife become a mother and watching many of you through the years, I I have noticed some things about this whole motherhood thing just from my uh, casual observance. It's this, that God provides what you need at exactly that moment and not a minute before. How many can say that's true? Frankly, I'll just be honest with you, and I'm sure she's watching at this moment, we were a bit worried about our daughter uh, when she and her husband Chris announced to us in the beginning of 2018 that they were expecting uh, a baby. We were really all the way through the pregnancy. Becky and I had our concerns because she had never demonstrated any interest in babies. Am I telling the truth? She'd never held one. She'd never touched one. She'd never babysat. She'd never changed a diaper. She'd ne- never fed a baby. Baby, I'm not sure she really liked kids all that much. So all through her pregnancy, Becky and I kept wondering, when is her mothering instinct? Surely that's going to kick in at some point in time. She would say things that would really worry us, you know, but we would just kind of keep it to ourselves. But I want to tell you this. When that baby, when our first granddaughter was born on Sunday morning, September 30th, 2018, the baby arrived, but also Mama Bear showed up (laughs) in all of her splendor. And the truth is, she's turned out to be an incredible little mama, and we're so proud of her. And I just want to tell you this, don't mess with her baby. Just don't do it. She's mama bear. I got to tell you how the announcement came to us. It was um, early in, sometime in January of 2018. Uh, But you you need to understand, our daughter had, you know, gotten her degree, and she had been pretty successful in her career. And because she really never talked about babies, showed any interest in having children, we were convinced that uh, they were never, they programmed Becky and I to believe they were never going to have children. And so we thought, okay, that's, that's just the way it is. And she was going to do her career, and he's in the military career, and uh, we won't be having grandchildren from them. So came a night in January <clears throat> when they called. They said, hey, we need to talk to you, you got to mom and dad, okay? Can you put us on speakerphone? We did. Becky and I are both leaning over the kitchen counter listening. They said, we, you know, we have something to tell you. And we said, okay, well, what's that? Literally, it was the furthest thing from our mind. And they, they finally said, well, we're, we're pregnant. We're expecting a baby. And I'm going to tell you what your pastor's wife's response was. Yeah. You want to hear it? You know, most ladies, when they're going to become a grandma, they start, oh, this is wonderful. They start crying and whatever, you know. Well, we were honestly in such shock because they hadn't, we were programmed to think they would never have any children. Becky's leaning over and in the the phone, she says, how did this happen? (laughs) 
because she wasn't programmed for this. She literally said, how this happened? I just looked at her, like, really? Seriously. And once again, I had to go over the whole story, how the stork has the, <laughs> the blanket in its beak and the baby's in the blanket comes early. And I had, we had to go over that one more time to explain it to her. Well, speaking of baby announcements, <clears throat> um, our daughter in love, Natalie, is expecting, and I think most of you know, have heard that, and we found out this week, she, we found out this week she's carrying a baby girl, so we're excited. Another September baby for us. Hallelujah. Amidst all the things that God provides or downloads when the baby arrives, I have noticed the predominant instinct that comes with the baby is this, and I think I've shared this before. Every parent, every mama that I know has an overwhelming urge, an overwhelming instinct, desire for that child to thrive. Am I right, mama? When the child is thriving, all is well with the world. Even, with, even if it's not with you, if your child is thriving, the world is good. But if the child is not thriving, it's as if nothing in life goes well at all. It dominates your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, your activities of the day. It certainly dominates your prayer life, everything. By the way, I've noticed uh, one thing that doesn't come with the baby is a manual on how to raise him or her. I, you know, when I kept looking for mine. When we got home with our babies when they were little, I kept, but we never found it. I must have lost it on the way home from the hospital. Did, did anybody ever find that manual on how to raise children? Not one person raised your hand in this house. Well, I would love to put all mothers and fathers at ease this morning because I want to remind all of us that no one gets an A in parenting. No one gets an A in parenting. It is only the grace of God that gets us through, and it's the mercy of God that our, that our children survive our parenting. So I want to encourage you young parents this morning, because I bet there's a, there is a parent or two uh, who in the room who might be a bit discouraged, and here's what I want to do. If you are a parent who has at least one child who is now an adult or is out of the house, would you please stand? Male or female, dad or mom, if you have a child who is out of the house and, adult, and an adult, okay, I want you to please stand. Now, you see that? Look at all these parents. Now, I want you to remain standing if mom or dad, you have ever lived a day feeling like you were woefully inadequate and incapable of being a parent. Remain standing. If you've ever lived a day or an hour thinking you were totally incapable of being a parent. Did anybody sit down? Okay. Young parents, I want you to know, nobody gets an A in parenting. Every parent has their struggles. A lot of them, they keep quiet and to themselves. And there will always come those times when you think, what on earth made me think I could be a dad? What on earth made me think I could be a mother? It looks like I have messed this up. Am I, am I telling the truth, parents? It looks like I have totally messed this up. And you live in blame and shame and guilt and all that. But I want you to know God gives a grace to parents. Thank God. One day, and I'll let you sit down in just a second. One day I remember when... Um, we were somewhere in the child-rearing process, and I was feeling like a particular failure on that day. 
because I, you know, I felt I had great parents. Becky had great parents, wonderful people. <clears throat> and I thought, how, how, did they, how did they do this? They didn't seem to have the struggles that we have. Of course, you know, they had to raise me. I couldn't see their struggles, right? <laughs> Bless their hearts. <clears throat> and I, and I, I called them really out of just total exasperation one day. And I said, you know, we should have never done this. We're not good at this. We're going to destroy these kids, you know, somewhere in the process. This is not working out well. And my mom and dad, very gently, they, I heard a little chuckle on the other end of the line, and they said, Dan, always remember this. There is a wide margin of error for parents. <laughs> error will take place, but God gives you a wide margin of mercy for all the mistakes that you're going to make in the process. Come on, give these parents a hand. You can be seated. All right. Well, Mary Evans has spoken on all or most of the mothers in the Bible. I tried to find some she'd not spoken of. Uh, she's covered, I think, everything, and she's probably preached on all of these. But I'm going to mention five briefly to you this morning. And to do so, I'm going to go to a chapter that you almost never hear a sermon on. I'm going to Matthew chapter 1 and the genealogies. I'm not going to read it to you because I assume you have it memorized, okay? <laughs> you would have read this sometime when you got to the book of Matthew in your immersed Bible reading, and, uh, and you made it all the way through. Some people kind of do it quickly, skip through. So I don't need, I don't need to read the chapter <clears throat> with all the begats because I think you know what's there. So just I'm going to ask you to take my word for it this morning. Uh, when I tell you that in this genealogical list, there are five women and only five women mentioned. I should have counted how many of your total are there, but only five women are mentioned. Which, for the time in history when that was written, would have been extremely unique to even mention the women. But each of these five women have a distinctive story, and they have a distinctive life journey, and it needs to be remembered that all five were critical to the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't think it's an accident that these specific women were included in this genealogy, which is why I'm bringing it to your attention this morning, because it speaks, the fact that they are in the genealogy or the lineage of Jesus Christ speaks to their importance. God knew exactly what he was doing when he caused each of these five women to be the mother of someone who would then be the father or mother of someone, who would then be the father or mother of someone, who would then be the father or mother of someone, and finally, ultimately, would, would be the parent to Mary, and she would bring Jesus into the world. Now, I know that, uh, this is something that just hit me this morning. I want, I'm going to confess something to you. I just finished preparing this message about one minute before I walked in because I changed a bunch of stuff this morning because the Lord just began to stir something in my heart when I got up early. I know this is one of the things I want to, I really feel uh, an importance to communicate. I know plenty of women today who are mothers who seem to be still searching for their purpose in life. They're not sure why they're here. They're not sure what's going, what's going on. And here's what I would say. I would ask you this question. Mother, to whom have you given birth? To whom have you given birth? You may have simply thought that giving birth to your child was something that you did along the journey of life, and yeah, you did that, and maybe you even raised them, or you're somewhere in that process. Maybe even the circumstances of conception were less than perfect, 
or something for which you are not particularly proud, can I ask you to think about the fact that a significant part of the distinction of your purpose is in who you birthed? And today, because I know what some of you may be thinking, today may not be the day for you to judge that child that you birthed based upon how that child looks to you today. But I say this to you this morning because I know, let me tell you where some of this came from. It came from a discussion with Dr. Marty not too long ago when she was talking about her mom. And she said her mother came to the point of realizing that probably her biggest success in life and that her greatest purpose in life was birthing Dr. Marty. By the way, Dr. Marty's preaching in Iowa today. Her main purpose in life, she took full fulfillment, full satisfaction in realizing that birthing Marty Williams uh, was a, the biggest part of the purpose that God had given her. Mother, who have you birthed in life, and how is that fulfilling your purpose and your calling, what God has designed you to be? Well, I present to you this morning five mothers who all conceived in an unconventional way. And let it be clearly understood that they are today remembered and noted in Scripture for the child that they birthed, and ultimately remembered for the part that each of them played in becoming part of the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's my intention this morning to point out to you the distinction of each of the women that I'm going to present, and, that who, and I want you to know this. They each made a conscious and deliberate and bold decision to be part of the purposes of God, no matter what it cost them. I have another intention this morning, that's to encourage and strengthen mothers today and let you know that you are honored and revered for the incredible work that you do. So let's look at these five, what I'm going to call messianic mothers, because they are in the line of the Messiah, these five messianic mothers, and see what the Lord would say to all of us this morning, even to the dads in the house. These are the five women who hold the distinct honor of being listed in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus. These distinguished mothers are Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary are the only female names you will find in the lineage of the Lord Jesus. First up is Tamar. I tell you that you will find her story, and I recommend this afternoon or sometime this week, read her story in Genesis 38. Almost the whole of her story is contained uh, within that chapter. When you read her story, let me just tell you now, you'll find bereavement and betrayal. You'll find neglect and humiliation, and her story also includes abuse and abandonment. And I bet there's people in the room this morning who can relate to all those. She lost two husbands. She was promised another or a third, which was never given to her. As a result of that taking place, she ended up doing things which were, shall we say, less than honorable. It is a fascinating story that you should read it, not now, but this afternoon, which makes it all the more interesting based upon her actions and what she did, makes it all the more interesting that she ended up important enough to be mentioned in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. This was a woman, though, who determined that no matter how difficult her circumstance was, no matter how much pain she experienced in life, no, much, no matter how much shame she experienced in life, whether it was brought upon her uh, as a result of something who 
someone who did something to her or if it was the result of her own poor choices. She nevertheless had determined that there was a promise on her life. And the promise that she was, was that she was going to be useful in the perpetuation of the glory of God and the promise of God. The promise was this, that she had a place in God's kingdom. She had a place in God's economy, and she had a place in God's plan, and that place would not be denied her irrespective of the difficulties she had experienced in life. Selah. Now, she could have easily made another choice. She could, I want you to see the decisions of each of these ladies today. She could have easily decided that all the pain and all the struggle all the tears and the worry and all the hardships that she had experienced had somehow disqualified her from usefulness and from her place in God's plan. I've messed it up, she could have decided. But instead, she persisted in the belief that God had made a promise to her and that promise was going to be fulfilled. And somehow, now, I'm reading a little bit into this, but somehow I, I have to believe the story couldn't have taken place the way it did if I did not believe she had an innate understanding of the important significance of the line of Judah, not lion, but the line, line of Judah, who ended up being her, both her father-in-law and the man who fathered her child, and that her purpose had to be fulfilled Absolutely. She felt that inner sense of responsibility even way back then, long before Matthew was written, that she had purpose that God had given her. Judah had given Tamar his first son, and then after he died because he was so wicked, God just killed him. Judah then gave her to Tamar his second son, who also died. Therefore, what happened? Judah was fearful to give her his third or his youngest son, whose name was Shelah, because the Bible makes it clear that the first two sons died as a result of their own wickedness. But you can imagine a dad who'd given two sons to this woman to carry on the, the, the line of the family. Now they both had died. He was a little reticent to offer the third. Regardless, he determined it was risky to give her his third son, and so he rendered her disqualified due to the misfortune in her life. It somehow was her fault. But we are talking this morning about a woman who refused to believe that she was disqualified and unacceptable. And I'm hoping somehow by the Spirit of God that is in this room helping me to communicate this message that there's a woman in this room who will walk out of this house today determined that she will refuse to believe that she's disqualified. She will refuse to believe that she is unacceptable. She will refuse to believe that she's not accepted in the sight of God. Let that happen in the name of Jesus. So much so she believed this, that later in the story we see Judah, once we see what all happened, saying that she had been more righteous than he had. You've got to read the story to get the whole picture. Tamar demonstrates for us an incredible inner strength and an undeniable sense of resolve that no person, no circumstance, no hardship, no trial, no pain, no struggle, no difficulty, no bereavement, no betrayal, no abuse could stop her from believing with all of her heart that God had a purpose for her. Let that be true to someone in this house today. No matter what you face, God has a purpose and a plan for your life, and it's a good plan. Bless the name of the Lord.
So therefore, Tamar stands today, even in 2019, as a testimony to every woman in this room and every woman who reads the Word of God that nothing should ever cause you to believe that God cannot use you. Even if Judah, your father-in-law, tells you that you don't fit, somehow you've disqualified yourself. Someone tells you, no, you're, you're, you're not acceptable. Even if life circumstances try to tell you that you don't belong, you need to remember that what God has placed within you, dear one, shouts out that nobody can blot you out of his book. Nobody can eliminate you from the lineage of Jesus. Nothing can you remove you from his plan when God has determined that he's going to use you. Somebody ought to say hallelujah to that this morning. Tamar made a decision. And there's a decision, each of these five women, and I want you to note their decision. Tamar made a decision to believe God's promise. And it seems to me that somehow Matthew must have been captivated by her story because he chose to include her in his genealogical list. The next mother we see in the genealogy list in Matthew is a woman named Rahab. When you want to read her story, go to Joshua chapter 2. I just got to tell you, I could have spent and a long time on Rahab. There's an entire sermon to be preached on this woman, her sin, her scheme, her sacrifice, her sign, her salvation, her status. I could have gone on all of that, but I'm sparing you, and you can thank me for that later. Okay. What we do know is that Miss Rahab was on the other side of the wall of Jericho. You know that. She was among the people who were destined for destruction. And uh, uh, even among that group of people destined for destruction, uh, Rahab was the least of the least of the least of the least. And when God was about to move into that community, how many know God still moves? When God was about to move into that community, certain people were sent out before the armies of Israel to spy out the land of Jericho. And we know that Rahab invited these Israeli spies into her home and she protected them. Why? Because there was something in her that realized that there was no future in the life she was living. By the Spirit of God this morning, I pray in this house that somebody will determine there is no future in the life that I'm living currently. There was no hope on the side of the wall where she was. She engaged in conversation with the two Israeli spies, and she said things like this. You know, we've heard the fact that, that God is on the move here. We realize that there's nothing that can be done to stay his hand when God is on the move. And now I know there are people within my community who are preparing for battle. They think they're going to conquer this. And, and I know that there are others who believe they can even hide behind this wall. And, and there are even yet other people who have convinced themselves that whatever is God, God is doing, somehow it will not affect them. But I freely acknowledge and I think this is what landed her on the list. I freely acknowledge that there is no hope in rebellion against God. I have become convinced that there is no life outside of God. I acknowledge that if God is moving, then the best thing to do is to submit to him and to join him and to bow before him. And what we see here, Bethesda, is a picture of a woman who is allowing God to pull her from a profligate lifestyle, to pull her from her hopelessness, to pull her from her destruction, and we see her acknowledge in humility that the way she has been living is wrong. And the only hope she has is that God will have mercy on her. We see yet another woman who made a distinctive decision. 
Rahab decided if she would submit to the, to the move of God that she would cling to the promise of God, even if it meant leaving everything behind her. Let me tell you, when God has a new plan for you, when he's taking you into the next place, when the next season has come and you can be fearful of it because you're concerned of what you might let go, let me tell you, God's next plan for you is a good plan. Where he's going to take you is a good place. And you need to be willing to leave behind what God has said, leave behind if he's on the move and he's moving you to your next season. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. And what we ultimately see here is a woman who went from a harlot on the wall to being a mother in the line of Messiah. That's quite a jump. And her story reminds us of this, and I love this. Her story reminds us this morning that his blood can make the vilest clean. His blood avails for me. The next mother we see in the genealogy listed in Matthew is a woman named Ruth. And her story is found in the book which bears her name. Ruth was yet another woman who knew what it was to be bereaved of a husband. She knew what it was to go from provision to poverty. She knew what it was to go from day to day unsure if she would have anything to eat. Ruth's decision was that she was going to live among God's people, and she was going to worship the God of Israel. And she would do it even though she was a foreigner in Israel. And she was going to do it even though she not, might not be accepted by everybody because she's a foreigner. She looks different. She has a different culture. She dresses a little bit different. She, 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 she's just not the same as everybody else. And she was going to believe, though, that the promise of God was not so limited that it could not include a foreigner. That the promise of God was not so limited that it could not include that person who is a little different than everybody else. How many are thankful for that? that the promise of God was not so limited that it did not have room for anyone who would choose to worship him and bless him and honor his name. She was willing to base her life on the fact that God is no respecter of persons and that anyone, no matter where they come from, what their background may be, what their lineage, what their nation of origin, what their culture, what their ethnicity, anyone who would choose to worship God is accepted by God. Is there an amen to that this morning? In fact, I, I've given her sort of my own little title. I call Ruth a whosoever will woman because we've learned in Scripture that the church today is a whosoever will church. Whosoever will may come. Somebody ought to be glad about that in the house today. Without a doubt, she would have to deal with certain rejection when she came into the land of Israel. And there would be a time when there would be a kinsman, someone close in relationship to Naomi, her mother-in-law, who would reject her. But then there would be another who would not reject her. There would be another who would accept her, who would redeem her, who would love her. And upon the first rejection, she could have decided, I guess I don't fit here. I don't belong here. I guess I'm just too different from everybody else. I don't say the same stuff that, you know, I don't use the same, you know, anything that they use. I thought I'd be welcomed here, but I, I guess not. Maybe I need to go find another church. I need to go somewhere else. But you know what, church? She saw beyond the original man of flesh who rejected her, only to find that there was another, what we call a kinsman redeemer, who accepted her in true love, someone who brought her into his home in, in fullness and took her from being an outsider and an outcast and made her into a messianic mother. Ruth teaches us that attractive graciousness, 
attractive graciousness is worth cultivating. And that racial hatred and religious bigotry can be solved by a right relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ who made of one blood all nations. The fourth woman we see listed in Matthew's lineage of Christ is a mother named Bathsheba. You know her. She's the wife of Uriah. You know the story. David has an affair with her while she's still married to Uriah. The Bible says it this way, that the king requested her. So Bathsheba is not only an adulteress by choice, but she's also a victim of the abuse of power because you did not say no to the king. Bathsheba knows what it is to have a child in a bad situation under very negative circumstances. She knows what it is to be overwhelmed by a very charismatic figure. She's familiar with the feeling of making the kind of mistake that cannot be undone. A lesson we can learn from Bathsheba is that being assured of God's forgiveness, she did not let her one sin there ruin her entire life. In fact, repentance, she used her mistake as a guide to future better conduct. She decided this sin should not have happened. It's causing me, you know, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance, church. When we see the goodness of God, the kindness of God, the forgiveness of God, it leads us to a position of humility and repentance to say, I want to turn from my wicked ways and not walk in this way anymore. But when we brood, we've all done it, over sins that God has actually said he will remember against us no more, we actually, when we still hang on to that, when we still doubt that, doubt that we have been forgiven, we doubt his mercy and we rob ourselves of spiritual power and spiritual progress. And to that end, I would encourage you to go back and read Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. So the Lord gave Bathsheba a son with David so that she could understand what was going on in her situation. Then the Lord sent a prophet to her because they had originally named the child Solomon, which we know, which means shalom or peace. The, word, the name Solomon is a, a peaceful name. But the Lord said, no, here's what I want you to call him. I want you to call him Jedediah because the Je- name Jedediah means this. It means the Lord loves him. It means beloved of the Lord. There's another uh, definition I found of the name Jedediah. It means the darling of Jehovah. Even though he was born in a bad situation, through the prophet the Lord was saying, even though he was was under difficult circumstances, tell him from the earliest stages of his life that the Lord loves him. And I would encourage every parent, every parent who had your child dedicated this morning, everyone who has an infant, a toddler, a little one, from the earliest stages of their life, do not fail to say, the Lord loves you. Yeah, your mama loves you, your daddy loves you, but I want you to know above all, the Lord loves you. And he loves you with a love that is beyond anything we can even ever possibly comprehend. So this woman could have decided that her son was born in bad bad circumstances, and therefore he has no right to God's plan. He has no right to have any impact and influence in the house of the Lord. And she could have taken that position. But somehow along the way, God had made something clear to her. God had put something within her that was an inner fortitude and an inner understanding. And here's what God had made clear. I love that baby boy. 
I love that young man. I love him, and not only that, I'm going to use him. He's going to make a difference in the kingdom of God. And so what was Bathsheba's decision? Her decision was this. She decided to make certain that even though she had made a mistake, her son was not going to spend the rest of his life paying for her mistake. Her son was not going to live as a second-class citizen as a result of her mistakes. She would not accept the fact that he would not have a place in the economy of God or that he would have no right to the kingdom of God or that he would have no right to the plan and purpose of God. She was going to have nothing to do with this so-called generational curse. By the way, the blood of Jesus has totally annihilated any generational curse. Mama Bear had decided that her son would not be robbed of God's best for him because of her. Because she had been assured that he's loved by God and that there was a promise from God upon his life. Let me get to the last one. My, the time is running away from me and I see that. The fifth and final woman listed in Matthew's genealogy is none other than Mary, the mother of Christ. She's considered to be the woman honored above all women. Therefore, it should not be a surprise to us that she made it to the list, the genealogical list of Matthew. Mary was told that she would be with child, though she knew she was a virgin. Culture would have said this would be shameful and you should be disgraced. But Mary understood something. She knew that the hand of God was upon her. She'd been visited by the Lord. She understood that God had chosen to honor her, even though her community would seek to ostracize her. Joseph chose to honor her. Not only God, but Joseph honored her as a result of the angel visiting him and speaking the word of the Lord to him. And they decided that together, as long as God was with them, they would raise this child that was within her for the glory of God. It was a decision that they made. So what we see happening to these five women is that they all seem to have this in common, which is this. Their road was rough. Their parentage was unconventional. Their situation was unique. But they also had this in common. They had a responsibility to raise that child with the understanding that God loves that child intensely, has a purpose for that child, and they would do everything within their power to see that child thrive and to be all that God had designed that child to be. Pastor Brent, if you're in the house, I don't see him. There he is. All five of them made a decision. Listen to me, please. Can we just hold steady for just two more minutes? Tamar's decision to refuse to believe that she was disqualified and unacceptable. Rahab's decision to submit to the move of God even if it meant leaving everything behind. Ruth's decision. As a foreigner in Israel, she would not be excluded from God's plan. That we are all one in Christ because of his blood. So look beyond the surface in people and see them for who they really are. Bathsheba's decision. Her son would not be robbed of God's best because of her mistakes. Mary's decision. Be it unto me according to your word. When I look at these five women, church, I see a tenacity. I see a grit. I see a strength. I see a resolve in each of these women to be a great mama. And the inner strength that each of them displayed placed their names 
in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus so that here on Mother's Day of 2019, we're still talking about them. They're still in Scripture. They're still here. I'm going to ask every mother in the house to stand for a prayer of blessing before we dismiss the service. Every mama in the house. Lord, I'm praying a prayer of blessing over these mothers. You have designed them uniquely, and they each have their own story, their own journey of how you brought them to this point. So I'm asking that the favor of heaven would rest upon them. You'll open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on them that they can't even contain. I ask you to bless their children. I pray that you will keep them safe. We know the enemy would want to rob their seed. The enemy would want to destroy, but you can protect. Lord, I pray for every mama in the house that has a child that is away from you, that as she calls on your name, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will go where no other person can go, and you will bring them back to you. In the name of Jesus, let that happen. So, Lord, I pray favor, blessing, protection, and peace. Let not their heart be troubled today because they believe in you. And we commit these mothers to you in the mighty name of Jesus. And the church said, amen.